We have all done and, and continue to do our share of, of daydreaming, imagining what certain scenarios would be like, imagining what it would be like to have this or to, to go there. And I, I suppose there's kind of a fine line between a, a healthy balance of imagining or wondering what if and crossing over that line between coveting or, or envy. But for the most part, I think it's relatively harmless to, to stop occasionally and, and wonder, what would I do if I won the lottery? What would, if, if I had a, a second home, where would I build it? What would it look like if that were the case? If I could travel anywhere, where would it be? And I think that's relatively harmless. Those are hopes and dreams. Sometimes those are plans that we have for the future. Maybe the bigger danger is, is not just daydreaming or imagining those scenarios, but the bigger risk that we have to watch out for is if we spend too much time doing those things, thinking about those ifs, that we take for granted what is right in front of us. That we fail to acknowledge what we actually have, what, what is ours instead of what could be or what it would be like if something else was ours. Maybe something that brings this into perspective these days is, is as we hear headlines and, and news stories about what it is, is like for those living in Ukraine right now. And it does put it into perspective a little bit, doesn't it? We lament uh, how much it, it's hurting our pocketbook to, to have to fill up our tank of gas. And yet to put that into perspective as we are lamenting how expensive gas is compared to those who are wondering if when they come out of shelter, their house, their apartment building will still be standing. We get irritated because we're so indecisive about where we want to go to eat tonight when there are those who are wondering if they're going to eat tonight or the next day or if their food will, will run out. And it puts it into perspective and, and hopefully it leads us to appreciate all of the things that we do have, to acknowledge what is in front of us. As you heard in our second reading today, the writer to the Hebrews reminds us of something that is ours. Listen again as, as he speaks to us, that confidence. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God. Since we have. Not what would it be like if we had not imagine if you had a high priest, but he says, we have a high priest. Since you have a high priest, Jesus, he is yours right now. That is not a hypothetical. That does not require any daydreaming or imagining. The writer of the Hebrews says, Jesus is our high priest right now. And how do we know that? Well, he refers to the ascension. The ascension is, is the validation. Now, of course, we have the apostles' own eyewitnesses, the disciples that were with Jesus as they witnessed, as they saw with their own eyes, Jesus leaving this earth, ascending to his rightful throne in heaven. But doesn't it add a little more validation that this writer to the Hebrews also affirms Jesus' ascension? That he also expresses the confidence that he did, in fact, ascend. And if he did, in fact, ascend, that really gives credence to every claim that Jesus made to be the Son of God to be our high priest. So you have a high priest, and the ascension 
of Jesus confirms that. Now, what does that, what does that mean for you? Well, immediately he points to, to one of the blessings or the benefits. He says, since we have that high priest, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. The ascension confirms that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is your high priest. Therefore, cling all the more firmly to your, to your faith. Hold on to it even, even tighter with that assurance that you have a high priest. And sometimes that is, is really what we need, isn't it? The encouragement to not let go, to not give up, but to cling to, in faith, all of God's promises. There are times where we wonder if we are being played the fool for clinging to Christ. And especially when, when things weigh on us heavenly, heavily, when we are crushed by, by burdens, by anxieties, when we're going through a, a difficult or trying season of life, that's when we really tend to doubt. That's when we wonder, what is the point of Christianity? If this is what I'm going through, if this is what I'm experiencing, what's the value of, of Christianity after all? But the writer of the Hebrews says, since we have a high priest who has ascended, hold more firmly to that faith. Because even though God never promised that, that the road, that your walk through this life was ever going to be free of potholes, he does promise that he will navigate, he will carry you through them, and that it is worth it on the other side. But he never promises a, a smooth path or road. Your life will be filled with, with potholes. Speaking of potholes, I suppose... We could refer to the discouragement, the frustration of having to deal with those potholes that we might call temptation. They're all going to face us. They're going to face all of us in one way or another. Maybe it is the same temptation, the same sin that, that the devil uses again and again, hitting us with barrage after barrage, same temptation, and we struggle and we fail. Maybe it's Maybe it's different sins that he knows how to push our buttons, knows how to entice us, knows how to lure us into those sins. It doesn't matter what it is. What we all share in common is that we will all continue to be tempted. And when we are, temptation will routinely show us how weak we truly are. And remember this, too, that, that it isn't just falling into temptation in regard to to sinning, carrying out evil or, or wickedness. That's not the only tool in the tempter's toolbox. He is also able to, to get us to, to sin, to tempt us by avoiding doing the things that we have been called to do. So we, we sometimes make this distinction, sins of commission, when we do those, those wicked things, the evil things, the bad things that, that God tells us not to do. But we don't maybe emphasize as much that the devil also tempts us in sins of omission, to not do the things that he calls us to do. To love your enemies. I've got my hands full with just loving my neighbors. Thank you. I'll let somebody else do that. To provide for the needs of those who are less fortunate to you. That's not an optional thing. We are called to do that. But, but when, I, when I reason that that's somebody else's responsibility, I'm committing a sin of omission. I, I'm tempted to let somebody else take care of that. God calls me to live a pure, a holy, a blameless life of righteousness. When he calls me to make daily time for him and his word and to make time for worship a priority in our lives, and I come up with some reason not to, those are good things that he calls me to do, and, and I am tempted not to. 
And each and every one of these temptations just shows how relentless the devil is. Good or bad, he doesn't care. Commission, omission, doesn't matter. He wants us to stumble into sin. Have you ever wrestled with why? I'm going to assume something here. I'm going to assume that everybody in this sanctuary knows that Jesus has paid for their sins. That everybody knows that their sins are forgiven by the blood of Jesus. So then do you ask yourself, Satan, why are you wasting your time? Go ahead, tempt me. I might fall. I might be tempted. But I know I'm forgiven, so what's the big deal? Leave me alone. Why does he keep up when we already know we're forgiven, even when we stumble and fall? I would say there's, there's two possible outcomes that he is really angling for, not limited to that, but, but two that, that are very noticeable and, and that I've, I've dealt with and experienced as you counsel and deal with brothers and sisters in Christ. The first is that, that as he tempts us and we stumble in the same sin over and over again, what can tend to happen is as we sin that same sin more and more repeatedly, we get comfortable with it. We become okay with that thing that at one time initially troubled us. We knew it was wrong. There was no doubt about it. It wasn't a matter of us thinking maybe it's right, maybe it's wrong. We knew it. But the more he tempted us with the same sin, the more we fell into it, the more comfortable we got, the more we embraced it. And what we did over time as we give in to that sin is without even knowing it, we have constructed a huge wall between us and God and put ourselves on the other side of it. So that now even when others caring brothers or sisters in Christ, a pastor, an elder, somebody who cares about your spiritual health, points out this sin and this wall that exists, you don't even see it and you refuse to believe it and you turn a deaf ear to it. Because over time, the devil relentlessly tempted you and what troubled you at one time, that sin no longer troubles you. And you don't even see the separation that now exists between you and God. So that's one reason he continues to tempt you. The same reason, I guess, with a different outcome, maybe, is, is why he'll hit you with the same sin over and over again. Because he's also happy if you get to the point of feeling so guilty and so ashamed of that sin that you commit again and again and again, that you suddenly become like Judas. And you are absolutely convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that you have passed that limit of grace and forgiveness. We'll even admit, we already know, yes, God is good and he's gracious, so yes, he forgave me the first time I sinned that sin. Two, three times again, okay, and yes, he's good and gracious, so even a handful more of that. But everybody has their limits. There's a threshold. I have sinned this sin for too long. I've wrestled with it my whole life. I've struggled with it, and I am beyond that point of forgiveness and grace. Sure, God will forgive other people who sin that sin, but not me. I've been enslaved by this sin too long. There's no way that grace and forgiveness could ever cover that. And we become so convinced of that over time that we fall away from, from the faith because we simply can't be convinced that God's grace and forgiveness are for me. So do you see why it matters that, that we have a high priest? That you actually have a high priest right now. That's why the devil doesn't want you to embrace this, to, to acknowledge this, that Jesus is your high priest right this very 
moment. Now let's talk about why this role of high priest even matters. I mean, think about it. In the other lessons that we had, the readings this morning, why wouldn't God simply establish himself as a battle-hardened general leading a war? Why not the mighty warrior like Goliath put out by the Philistines to, to battle the Israelites? Why a high priest? Well, a high priest is better. Even though the truth is that in Jesus we have all of these, don't we? But think about it. The battle-hardened general may, by a successful strategy, overcome the enemy and win the war. The mighty warrior could drop his opponent just like that. And though victory might be there, those things don't bring us any closer to God. Our sin still separates us from God. What we need is somebody to give us access to God the Father. And that's the role of a high priest. God established that in the Old Testament. That's what the high priest did. He was the go-between. He was the one who interceded between people and God. God was establishing in the Old Testament that, that no fallen human being, no sinner has any business approaching a holy, righteous God. There's got to be a go-between. Somebody who gives access to the sinner from the sinner to the holy God. So the whole, in the Old Testament, the, the high priest was the one who offered up the sacrifices, and he alone. The high priest was the one who offered up prayers on behalf of the people for God. You realize that we still, we still have this understanding that, that somebody has to go between us. That's kind of our default, isn't it? It's why you think that, that the pastor or the priest's prayer is somehow more effective than your own. Hey, pastor, will you pray for me? Hey, hey, father, will you pray for me? Because you're a clergy person. You've got some direct line to God that is, is something that is more than, than what I could offer up for him. That's kind of the, the expectation, isn't it? As if we kind of envision that there's this ladder to heaven and, and the clergy are, are a few rungs higher than we are. So if we can use them, then we better our chances. And it's really why... A, a confessional booth in a, in a Catholic church is never going to be empty because of that perception that the penance prescribed by the priest somehow makes Jesus' forgiveness and grace more valid or certifies it. As if it isn't good enough just coming from God himself or from another brother or sister in Christ. So we have this notion, it's our defaults, that, that somebody has to go between us and God. And so, dear friends, do you realize what good news this is that the writer to the Hebrews tells us? We have a high priest. We have the priest necessary to give us complete, free, open access to the Father at any time. We have the high priest in Jesus who assures that, that every prayer that leaves our lips is going to fall on the Father's ears. It's going to reach its target, its destination, and he's going to hear it and he's going to answer it because of our high priest. Because of our Savior, Jesus. Now, you might think that because uh, of this Jesus being our high priest, and one that, that, that actually the writer to the Hebrews tells us is, is very much like us but different in an important way, and we'll cover that in just a minute. But here's the, the reality. The writer of the Hebrews tells us that, that this Savior, this high priest, relates to us. He says it very clearly in the, the second verse of, of our text here, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize or empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, 
just as we are, tempted just as you are, somebody who can relate to when you have felt the struggle and the enticement of temptation. You saw it in the gospel as the devil came to him when when Jesus was physically depleted at at a low, and that's when the devil comes after him. He can relate to when when you look and you see the pain and the suffering in this world and it makes your, your heart just weigh heavily. He can relate to that. But there's one big difference. One huge difference. It's those last five words of that verse. Tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. It's interesting that that we have this high priest who paid the price to make us right with God, who by his blood shed the perfect sacrifice, unlike all of the the goats and the bulls and the sheep, everything that was offered in the Old Testament again and again, every day after day after day, he offered one sacrifice himself, and it was valid for the sins of all people for all time because his blood alone is holy, precious. His blood alone is valuable enough to pay the price for our sin. But that's not really what the writer to the Hebrews is focusing on in these verses. Rather, what he's focusing on is you have a high priest We have a high priest who was the perfection and the obedience, the holiness that we need to have access to the Father. Because of his obedience, through faith in him, we are obedient. God views us as righteous, as as holy. This was the thought that Paul was capturing when he wrote in, in Romans chapter 5, verse 19. Just as through the disobedience of the one man, Adam, through the fall into sin, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. You have a high priest who paid the price so that your sins are forgiven, but you have a high priest who was perfectly obedient, so you have access to the Father. He has been your righteousness. He is your obedience. He was tempted yet was without sin. He crushed temptation. And now, dear friends, that means that he equips you to go out and do the same. You don't need to be afraid of sin or temptation or Satan. You can face them fearlessly. You can actually... You can actually stand up when the devil attempts you. You can can actually say no to sin. You can choose the path of righteousness. And you can do it fearlessly. Here's why. What happens when you fall on your face in temptation? God still sees Christ's perfect righteousness. He still sees his obedience in your stead. You have nothing to fear. Nothing. God isn't going to change his mind and say, well, you failed in the face of temptation far too many times for me to let you in heaven. He says, my son never did. Good enough for me. You believe it? Good, now stand up in the face of that temptation. And not only that, the writer to the Hebrews in the last verse really kind of allows us to level up, in a sense, when when we talk about facing temptation. The very last encouragement that he gives us is let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. With confidence, not with doubt, not with uncertainty, Not wondering if God will give you what you need to face temptation, but with confidence, knowing I have limitless mercy and grace to extend to you, to give you whatever you need 
to overcome Satan. So go out and, and crush temptation. Give it your best shot day after day after day fearlessly. Fearlessly because you have a Savior, a high priest, who already crushed temptation for you. Amen.